Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you brave the elements and the weather and the rain. And uh, I'm glad that you're here and happy, happy day before Christmas, Christmas Eve. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a great service. I hope all of you can come. It'll be a short service, about 45 minutes, but it'll be a, it'll be a meaningful service. And, uh, and so I hope you can come and be a part of that. Let me just give you a brief review of kind of where we've been talking about Advent. Advent means coming. And so it's the coming of the Lord Jesus that we celebrate in, in Advent. So the fact that he did come, and secondly, that he is coming again. And so the first candle that we lit four weeks ago was the candle of hope. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be coming, that the government and peace would be upon his shoulders, and the peace of God would be multiplied over and over again until it had no end. And so it gave the children of Israel hope, hope for a Messiah. In the same way, we have a hope in our faith. We have a hope that we believe that God, being God, is able to do whatever needs to be done in his timing, in his way, but he's, he, we have hope. Hope because he saved us. Hope because he transformed our hearts and our lives. Hope that if he did it for us, he can do it for someone else. So the first week was the candle of hope. The second week we talked was the candle of peace. And we found out that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, it's my peace that I give to you. And, and so Jesus has the peace, and he shares it with those who receive it. And so it is the peace of God that passes all understanding, that can reside in our hearts and our mind. Even when things are not at peace, we can be at peace because we have a Savior, Jesus the third week, last week, we talked about the candle of joy, and it was the joy that the shepherds experienced when they heard the announcement in the, all the heavens that the Messiah had come, that he was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in Bethlehem. And, uh, and so the joy that the shepherds had for that event really was spread far and wide that evening and throughout the rest of that week before they went back to their pastures is the joy that we have in our salvation. And today, we are lighting the candle of love. This is called the angel's candle. And the angel's candles, angels, why? Because angels are messengers of love. And so, uh, today, we're going to talk about the love of God. Tonight, we'll be lighting the center candle which is the Christ candle, the Messiah, in remembrance that Jesus came as the light of the world, the purveyor of hope, the purveyor of joy, the purveyor of peace, and the purveyor of love. And so tonight, I want you to be a part of that. Here's the question. Look, there's so much. If you think about it, the whole Bible really is full of love. I mean, it is God's love letter to his people. It is God's hope to his people. It's God's joy to his people. And so there's so much that could be shared about the love of God, so much. But as I was praying about this and thinking about this, I felt like the Lord led me in three ways, and we'll be talking about it in a minute, three biblical ways we know about the love of God. 
But before I do, I have a question to pose for you. Have you ever been in a spot where you thought, does God really love me? Does God really love me? Sometimes, even though we know he's with us, we don't feel his presence. Sometimes we go through situations and circumstances where we just can't believe we're in the middle of this. How did God let this happen? It's amazing that when things are going good, we take the credit ourselves. But when things are going bad, we blame it on God. But he's used to that because he loves us unconditionally. But how do we really know that God loves us? When I was thinking about that question and thinking about how to answer that in a meaningful way, I was transported back in my memories to the First Baptist Church of Ball Knob, Arkansas, 1965. And uh, I was about to go, it was the summer before my first grade year, I was about to go into the first grade. And it's the first time I remember being in church. I'm sure I was in before that many times, but it's the first time I remember being in church. It's Vacation Bible School. And uh, there in Vacation Bible School, we learned some songs. But the number one song that we learned was this one. I'm going to sing it for you. So try not to laugh. It'll make you smile to hear my voice, but it won't make you, uh, hopefully it won't make you laugh too hard. But seriously, you're not going to record this, are you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Already being recorded. But this song is what we learn. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And how do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Today, today, we'll give you three biblical truths about the love of God. The first one is this, that God's nature is love. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what's in him. His nature is love. And you can imagine that he has plenty to go around having put up with this civilization for now for thousands of years. But his nature is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That is who he is. He is love. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So not only is he love, but he demonstrated that love for us. He showed us how that love is worked out, how it's lived out by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That even while we were still sinners, he died for us. Even when we were in rebellion towards him, even when we were out there doing what it is that we thought we wanted to do, needed to do, and didn't care what he thought, he still loves us. Why? Because that's who he is. That's what he does. 
we use the English word love, we throw it around to different things, you know. I love a good hamburger. I love the cowboys. Next week you'll hate them, but this week you love them. You, you know, I love this weather. I love, you know, hanging around with my friends. I love being out in the woods. We use the word love interchangeable with a lot of different ideas. I love my wife. I, I love my church. I love the Lord. Uh, but what you have to do is realize that in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there are many words for love. Uh, Philios is one of those words. It's the love between brothers. Uh, you know, there's uh, the kind of love that we have for someone of the opposite sex. Uh, and then there's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. It's called agape love. Agape love. Agape love is summed up in this verse right here. He demonstrates his own agape towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us while we were still fighting against him. He laid down his life in our favor so that we might know him, that we might be returned back to the family of God, that we might come under again the love and the covering that his father had for us. And so God demonstrates that agape by laying down his life for us, even when we were still sinners. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, in this is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. We didn't wake up one morning and decide we were going to start pursuing God. In fact, every pursuit we have of God is in response to initiative that he first made to us. All we can do is respond to the love of God. And in responding to the love of God, we come closer to him. We have fellowship with him. And so the Bible is clear. It's not that we love God because our love is not very stable. But it is that he loved us. His unchanging, unfailing, unconditional love for us. He loved us first. And we respond to that love by surrendering and opening, opening our hearts towards him. So... He died and sent his son. Jesus, the son, died on our behalf, in our stead, sacrificially, to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, to take credit for and to cover our sins. And so Christ died for Even better, it says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. That is the forgiveness of our sins. So when we say that God's nature is to love, what's included in that, that he first reached out to us and we responded to him and he was given on our behalf. He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved and sacrificially laid his life down so that we could have eternal life with the Father. God's nature is love. The second biblical truth about the love of God is this, is that God's pursuit of us 
is relentless. He never relents. He never says, this is impossible. He never says, I just can't take this anymore. He never says, I've run out of patience. He never says, my mercy is up. His pursuit of us is relentless. It is relentless. I remember back in the first Methodist church, once we moved back to Tennessee, I became a Methodist. And, uh, and I remember having one summer having a revival service where every week someone came, every day of it, one week, someone came and preached and preached mainly on salvation. And I, I remember sitting in sort of the back with my friends. I was probably 14, 13, 14, 15 years old. And this guest pastor uh, came down from the pulpit. And, and back in those days, it was a long way to come down. So he came down from the pulpit. He came back. He walked down the aisle of the church, and he put his finger on me. He said, son, God's got a call on your life, and you're going to do something great for his kingdom. I didn't a bit more know what a call was, what the kingdom was. I didn't know any of that stuff. And in reality, I've kind of forgotten about it over a long season of time. But now, in these last days of my life, I begin to piece together again those pieces of the mosaic that made me who I am today. And in every case, it is the fact not that I reached out to God, but that God reached out to me. Not that I pursued him, he pursued me. When I went to college, I just, you know, first thing I did was join the Methodist church there at University of Mississippi. And I joined the Methodist Church, and I went, whether I needed to or not, once or twice a year. And, uh, and I just remember going because that's what you do when you grow up in the South. People go to church. And so I checked the box. But other than those 30 minutes that I had maybe once every six months or so, uh, I pretty much lived like I wanted to the rest of the time, drinking, partying, sleeping around, you know, just living a wanton lifestyle. Not very happy. One of my roommates was a guy named Mike Trammell. Mike and his girlfriend then, who became his fiance and now his wife, Mike's a dentist in Jackson, Mississippi. And Mike was a, he was one of the big men on campus. He was the, one of the head cheerleader at Ole Miss. And, and he was my college roommate for a season. And Mike shared the gospel with me. I listened intently. I thought about it. And I just looked at him and said, no, thank you. I'm fine. I appreciate the concern, but I'm fine. And, uh, and that was probably my junior year in college. I forgot about that until 18 months after I graduated from college on the day that I came to Christ. Then I remembered that Mike had been the first person I remembered to really share the gospel with me. So I called him up and Mike was so happy. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on. And he went back and he found two or three of his old uh, prayer journals. And he opened them up. I don't know how he knew the right page, but he opened them up to the right page. And he began to read me paragraph after paragraph of things that he was praying for me, that I would come to know the love of God, that God would save me, that God would use my gifts and talents for the kingdom of heaven. And I was reminded again that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. Relentless. 
Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable of three lost things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And in chapter 15, verse 4, he says, What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? It's talking here on a subject that they all are familiar with. I mean, shepherds, herds of sheep, herds of livestock. This was an agrarian society, and these people knew exactly what he was talking about. And he knew that, you know, at the end of the evening, when they're passing into the sheepfold, that the shepherd is counting them. And if he has 100, but only 99 showed up for the evening, he knows that that one is in peril. And so he'll close the door on the sheep, on the sheep gate, and he'll leave the 99 to go find the one. Now watch this. It says, which, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Now, Jesus turns this parable into a truth. And I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. God is looking for us to repent. It's not a popular subject in the church anymore. But it means to change our vantage point, change our perspective. Stop trusting in myself and start trusting in God. And this parable here points to the fact that there may be a church full of people who've done that, who live that kind of lifestyle. But for a sinner who turns on the moment, all heaven rejoices because that person has opened the door into the kingdom. So I say to you that likewise, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And you may be here today and be away from God. Maybe at one time in your life, you were very close. You had a very intimate relationship with God. Maybe you've had an experience or two or three that lets you know that God cares for you and loves you. But somehow, some way, you've fallen back into the rut of rebellion, living your life like you want to, living your life separated from God. And the Bible says that God's looking for you. Why? Because he's unrelenting. He is relentless in coming after you because he loves you. At the end of this parable, he talks about a lost son. And Jesus, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells this parable where the father, the son has come to the father, said, look, I want half of everything that's due me. I want half of, uh, you know, all that's due me. He had, a, he had a brother. And he says, I want to take my inheritance. I want to take the resources that you have for me. And I want to go do my own deal. And so what happens is, is that this son, this prodigal, takes his portion of the inheritance, he takes his portion of the resources, and he leaves. He goes to a distant land. And over in that distant land, he's, getting, he's far away from God, see? And over in that distant land, he spends all of his money, spends all of his resources on prostitutes, on drugs, on gambling, on doing all those kinds of things. And he is far, far away from his father. The Bible says that the only job that he could get once he went broke was feeding the pigs. 
and he finds himself up knee-deep in the pig pen. And he remembers in that moment, God triggers that memory that he has of even the sons of, uh, servants of my son get a better deal than this. I'll go back to him. I'll tell him that I'm sorry, and I'll beg him to let me back into the family, just to be a servant in his house. So he says here, he arose out of that pig pen, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. Everyone say compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this son, my son, was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be merry. God's love extended to this son. And here's what I find this amazing is this kid has done everything wrong. This kid has wasted his father's money. He's prevailed upon his father's resources. He, he's done everything. He's gone and done what he wanted to do, live how he wanted to live, and has done everything you can imagine wrong until now the stench of the pig pen clings to him. He has nothing left. And as he makes his way, he decides, I'll go back to my father. As he makes his way back to his father, the father is standing on the front porch of eternity, waiting, watching, hoping that he would repent, that he would turn back to God. And so it is for us today that when we're out there living rebelliously, when we've broken that fellowship with God, when we no longer care about what God thinks about our life, but we're going to make ourselves happy, when we get into that spot, we get into that place, we're a far land away from God. But rather than writing us off, rather than being impatient with us, unmerciful towards us, he longs for the son to come home. He longs for him to turn back to God. If it were me and it was my son, I would wait till he got all the way up to my house and let him walk through the whole neighborhood smelling like a pig. And once he got to my steps, I'd get him on his knees and now beg me and I might give you a year's probation. No. Once the father saw him, he ran towards him. He hugged him. He didn't care about the stench on him. And he embraced him. He kissed him. And he told his servants, bring out the best robe in the house and put it on him. That robe will cover up your nakedness. It'll cover up the stench of the pig pen. Put on his finger the ring of authority. That he's my son and this is his rightful spot. And finally, give him sandals. Sandals to tread over his past to move forward into his future and to come again into a place of fellowship and intimacy with his father. And so they began to make merry. The son who was dead in the pig pen is now alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. The second biblical reason we know that God loves us 
is because he pursues us relentlessly. The third reason is really a simple one, and that is this, that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to remind us of his love. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to remind us of his love. Think about it. You know, Jesus was here on the earth for 33 and a half years. In that time period, he was only able to speak to personally, to touch, to minister to, to encourage a finite number of people. He didn't have an infinite number of people he could minister to at that moment because he's only one person in one place at one time. And so, what did he do? Well, he first and foremost demonstrated his love towards us by dying in our stead, dying in our place. But he also left us a legacy, a legacy of love. And so, he loved us and he showed us what God's love looks like wrapped up in a person. For he's the exact replica, the exact image of his Father who's in heaven. If you say, what is God like? All you have to do is look at Jesus. That's what God is like. And, and so we find out that because he was only here for a finite period of time, that when he ascended into heaven, his Father sent us a gift. The gift he sent us was the Holy Spirit. And watch what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint. What is that hope? The hope that God would again, take us into his stead, that God would somehow bring us back to life. We're dead in our sins and trespasses, but that he would raise us from the dead by his great love. And it says, now hope, that hope that we have does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God gave us his spirit and the reason he gave us his spirit is so that we could know, we could know his love, the love he has for us. He gave him to us so that at one point in time, it was possible and it is possible for God to be with each person individually for an infinite number of people because he sent his, his, his spirit to save us. And so the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. By who? by the Holy Spirit, so that when we're born again by the Spirit of God, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Why? Because he's given us his Spirit to walk with us, to know him, to love him, to be an, an, have an intimate relationship with him. Scripture affirms over and over that God's love for us is unconditional, unchanging, and unfailing. Last week, Nancy highlighted this verse from Ephesians chapter 3, it's one of those great verses that Paul prayed for the uh, church in Ephesus. It's called an apostolic prayer, and this is a portion of it. His prayer for the saints in Ephesus and for all of us is this, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love... What does that mean? That the roots of your life will be rooted and grounded in God who is love. That no wind or storm or uh, natural disaster or divorce or brokenness or death or disease, none of that stuff would sway you off the course because you've been rooted and grounded in him 
in his love. And that you may be able, verse 18 says, to comprehend with all the saints what's the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of God. He's saying that God's love has four dimensions to it. Four dimensions to it. The first is the width of his love. Nancy and I, several years ago, we took a, a road trip, right? But I mean, just the two of us, we got in the car in Dallas and said, let's just go west. We didn't have any hotel reservations. We didn't have anything. We just drove. And we ended up about halfway through the trip at the Grand Canyon. If you've never been, go. It's unbelievable. And here we are standing on the edge of the canyon, looking down one mile to the river below. It's, it's amazing. And then when you look up from that, you can't really believe that that's a real thing. It almost looks like a painting. You just can't believe it's the real thing. And you can see a thunderstorm over there. That canyon in some places is over 10 miles wide. The Bible says that you can't get on the other side of a chasm too far to escape from the love of God. Because God's love is wider than the widest canyon. It's longer than the greatest length. There's not a road in the world that you can get away from the love of God by going a long ways around. You can't get away from the love of God. The length, the depth, there's no point in the deepest part of the Pacific Ocean that you can get down there, and people have been there, that you can get away from the love of God. And the height, there's no mountain that you can climb to get away from the love of God. It has four dimensions width, length, depth, and height. And he finishes that thought with this, that we know the love of God. When you know the love of God, it brings stability into your life. It brings stability in your life. You're not washed by every wind that goes left and right. You're not washed by every crisis that you go through, every crisis that you've had. You're not washed by you know, to and fro. You're, strength, you're strong. You're like an oak tree. Those roots go down deep in the love of God, and you know he loves you. It brings stability into your life. God's love is unconditional. It's unchanging. It's unfailing. Why? Because God is love. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what's in him. He is love. Number two, he pursues us relentlessly. We aren't Christians today because we chose him. He first chose us. And we responded to that by giving him, sacrificing our heart for him, by allowing him to come into our lives, by surrendering our will to him. Because he pursues us relentlessly. His compassion for us never fails. And finally, God's gift of the Holy Spirit is a constant reminder of his great love for us. You only have to turn to him. He's right there with you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. You can never get away from him because he loves you. You can ignore him, but he won't ignore you. You can curse him, but he won't curse you. You can call his character into question, but he already knows your character. And he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. Now, look, you can't talk about the love of God without quoting John 3, 16. It's the most famous verse in the New Testament. <clears throat> For God so loved the world 
Think about that just for a moment. Think about the craziness of our world. Think about the evil that has been released on this earth in the last two or three years. Think about the stuff that's going on around the world. We don't have to go too far right here in our own city. Violence is up. Violent crime is up. Theft is up. I mean, you have to feel like you have to watch every step you make these days. Fear, anxiety, worry, all that stuff is at a high spot. We see the images of what's going on in Israel, and it only whips up our, our anxieties and our worries. This is why we need the Prince of Peace in our life. For God so loved the world. He, his love extends to the whole world. For he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe upon him would have life and have it eternally. Today, if you're here and you're away from God, I want to encourage you to respond to his love towards you. He loves you. He loves you. And like the prodigal son, all you have to do is make a turn in his direction. Just a turn. He'll run to you because his pursuit of you is relentless. He is love. He'll give you his spirit so that you'll know for the rest of your days he's with you to share with you the love that he has for you. Amen. Would you stand? If you would bow your heads, I want to just pray with you for a moment. Lord, I just thank you for every person that's in this room. Lord, for every person that's listening online, for every person that's hearing this, maybe days, weeks after the live feed, I want to just encourage you to respond today to God. Say, well, how do I, I don't even know how to do it. Just invite Jesus into your life. Turn from your sins and turn your heart towards him. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have agape love for us. The kind of love that lays its life down for us. And Lord, I'm praying for each and every person listening or here present. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that they will respond to the great love that you have for them. Lord, that they would receive your spirit into their hearts to know that there is hope, that there is peace, that there is joy, that there is love wrapped up in an infant in a manger in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas. God bless.